cleric pingling. And what they have in <laughs> I felt like I said cleric strangely there. Cleric. Cleric. Welcome to Dungeon Chatter. This is Travis. This is Victoria. And today we're talking about R for race. On the Dungeon Chatter podcast, we talk through RPG creation and design alphabetically. That is A through Z, and then we start again. And on each episode, we talk about one aspect, uh, one piece of the system or the world or the whatever. And today we talk, we're we happen to be talking about race. And so uh, the way we approach this is by telling you um, what the concept is that we're talking about and explaining quickly what we mean by it. So we're going to do that. Um, and then we talk about how other RPG systems handle this concept. So what do other games do with race? Um, and then we're going to talk about um, our pitch. So how are we handling race in this game? And then finally, Hack and Slash, in which I brutally attack our system. So let's begin by talking about what uh, we mean by race. And I think that there's a long history here, and I, I'm not going to claim to know all the, the history of uh, why that term has been chosen. In uh, RPGs specifically. Right. Um, and so it's, it's one of the main classifications for the type of character you're playing. Um, if you revisit the episode um, O, which was on Origins, you'll see that we came up with that... Um, spark mm -hmm. the kind of character creator that gives you a concept uh, for the type of character that you are or that you're playing uh, but it doesn't really it, it tells you kind of more of the major um, what events in your life and the things that you're striving to do a lot of the psychology um, but what it leaves out is the kind of um, are the two major like biological sociological and then there's a kind of developmental piece so mm -hmm. um, the developmental piece is really the choosing of your skills um, but the uh, biological and the sociological pieces, that's essentially what people mean by race mm -hmm. in RPGs. Uh, so let me give an example here. So suppose we have um, two characters. One is a dwarven warrior and one is a dwarven cleric. And uh, they're going to have a lot of differences. So one of them, I mean, stereotypical warriors, I don't know, going to wear a uh, chain or plate and he's going to fight with a sword and a shield or she. And the uh, cleric uh, might wear heavy armor like that, but probably going to fight with a hammer or a mace, uh, possibly a shield, going to be casting spells. Uh, so what they have in common, though, is this kind of um, genetic background, this biological background. Mm -hmm. Contrast that with a dwarf and an elf, both of which are, let's suppose, magic users. Mm -hmm. You can probably very easily, if you know much about RPGs, um, conjure up images of elven wizards. Um, but dwarven wizards, it's a little less common. There aren't a lot of um, historical, well, no historical, but <laughs> <laughs> there aren't a lot of... Um, like mythos? Yeah, mythical, legends? yeah, myths to draw from. Mm -hmm. uh, like, here's my inspiration for the dwarven spellcaster. It's, no, it's a cleric probably, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, there are a couple interesting reasons for that. Uh, one is that the elves versus the dwarves, these are biological things. They're fake, obviously, but they're biological things that are suited for certain things, better suited for certain things than for others. And elves tend to be better suited for spell casting of the magic type and um, dwarves for um, 
well well suited for spellcasting of the priestly type. Mm-hmm. The the divine magics, yeah. Yes, if that's what people know them by, then yes. <laughs> right? So so arcane versus divine or something. Yeah, arcane like versus divine. Okay, cool. And maybe so we want to spell out these two different ways of thinking about race. So is it just a biological thing, um, or is it a kind of sociological type of thing? Um, and maybe we'll pause for a moment and explain what a build is, right? And so the, um, some of you, if you, especially if you play computer games or uh, console RPGs or, or console games, you might be very familiar with the idea of a build. Um, so I'll give an example, and then you give your example. All right, so um, I was playing a lot of uh, Fallout 76, and suppose someone asks, hey, is the shotgun good in, uh, it's, it's a type of weapon, right? So is the shotgun good in Fallout 76? And then the answer to that um, has to be, well, it just depends on the type of character you're playing. Uh, so I played a shotgun-built character, and that means whenever I got new skills, whenever I got new cards in that game, I would choose the cards that would make my shotgun better. So I made my shotgun way less money. I made it, I think, faster to reload. I made it hit harder. I made it more likely to stagger. I made it more likely to uh, maim people when it would hit their limbs. Mm -hmm. Um, I made it more likely to do criticals. And then my shotguns were ridiculous. And so I might, and I could make really good shotguns. But I could make these really good shotguns and give them to my party members. And Mm -hmm. then they're like, well, this is a really good shotgun. And I would watch them struggle to drop stuff that I could drop in one hit Mm -hmm. just because they weren't built for using shotguns. Mm -hmm. Um, So the build might be a kind of, um, in the way that we talked about um, the spark for your character, Mm -hmm. the build might be the ultimate min-maxer spark. Um, And so min-maxing, getting the most out of your, the most bang for your buck. For the Uh way that you're going to play the game, how do I spend all my points? How do I make all the choices? That will make my person the best at this. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, you know, to, like genetic manipulation or genetic engineering and then training and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what a build is. And I just want to say that this is different from race. Race is maybe a piece of the build, yeah. but the build is a bigger thing that mm-hmm. channels all of your energies into one thing. Yeah. And okay. I did want to mention that, like, it is min-maxing. So, like, with that shotgun, uh, mm-hmm. he can't pick up, like, a, a rocket launcher and expect... I mean, maybe that one nope. does... Nope. Nope. To, like, one-hit kill people uh, like he can with the shotgun. In fact, my character got to the point where using a rocket launcher made no sense because my shotgun, one shot from my shotgun, was heavier than any rocket launcher I found in the game. Wow. So it didn't make any sense for me to carry those weapons. At the same time, it didn't make any sense for me to carry melee weapons, which was pretty stupid because it turns out they're really powerful in general in that game. Yeah. So you can build, you can build shotguns really well, but you can build melee even better in uh. that game. So... Is that something that you would have to... Uh, I don't remember how 76 does there. Do you have to choose one or the other? You can't try to um, bump up both, right? You can always have the cards on you that you could switch them out. So oh. if you switch... But then you have to switch a bunch of your cards out. And yeah. I wanted to do minimal switching. So I would have... I would just carry cards for hacking and lock picking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so in general, I would even sacrifice hacking and lock picking for the shotgun. But I would just equip the cards to yeah. hack... Yeah, so Fallout 76 uses cards to give you kind of on-the-spot bonuses um, that are like persistent bonuses, which is pretty interesting. So you draw a card, and um, as long as you're equipped with that card, you have that bonus. We have a system that occasionally uses cards in the middle of playing to give you a temporary, like not Uh, a persistent mm -hmm. bonus or a persistent penalty. Um, And so... um, We discussed those in M for Minigame, if anyone doesn't remember. Thank you. 
Yeah. Okay. That was a, a little bit of a diversion on my part, but um, does that, is that good? Yeah. And then you wanted to talk about. I was going to talk about, so I don't do the min-maxing very well. Um, it's not something I'm against. It's just something that uh, I'm a little more, uh, ooh, this looks good. Ooh, this looks good in the moment. Um, and not like, I don't tend to think at my characters very far in advance beyond like when I'm making a new character, I might think about which of my stats I give the highest that I roll into. Um, but in Critical Role, uh, an example of this that I saw that was pretty well-defined um, was the character that Taliesin plays, if anyone else watches Critical Role. Uh, he, his character died, and when he came back in, he had a good idea of what the party needed. Um, so he ended up playing uh, a cleric, but he built a death cleric, which I don't know if that is something from a book or something that someone else came up with or if it was just something that he and his friends were able to like identify, um, but it it he does uh, he puts a lot of focus into bringing people back um, and making sure people don't die, as opposed to fighting really hard or um, healing people like extraneously uh, unless they're like close to death. Um, he so like some stuff that he can do he can negate natural twenties if he's within thirty feet of people, so that people who are on death's door uh, don't take. Uh, critical hits, or especially if they're down, like if they're, um, in D&D, &D, if you are already unconscious and somebody hits you with a melee, it's a crit. Um, so that would be two, uh, two failed death saves. So that means that you are two steps towards being completely dead. So he can negate that and just change it to one failed death save. So stuff like that. He has picked his skills and his, uh, where he put his stats specifically to do this sort of death saving. Cool. Mm -hmm. And that's a build. So it's, again, it's sort of all of your energies mm -hmm. channeled in this one direction. Yeah. Um, now, we talked about um, the elf versus the dwarf um, as races. And so if you start thinking about um, the biological version of this, um, this is just to say that something something like based on the biology, um, the sort of thing that you are, mm -hmm. um, there are going to be certain things that you're well-suited for and certain things that you're not well-suited for. Um, and so the easiest way or the most obvious way that this manifests itself, um, I think, in RPGs is like the elves are well-suited for um, being dexterous, agile, archers, that sort of thing. Because... Traditionally, they're longer, they're lankier, they're lighter. So that would be sort of the idea for why they're dexterous, or at least an idea for why they're dexterous. And they're not especially tall in um, Faerun, They're for taller instance. than dwarves. They're taller than dwarves. That okay. part's true. Not taller than humans, but they are uh, more slender mm -hmm. uh, than humans. Um, and then um, dwarves uh, tend toward, yeah, smaller, squatter, um, and they tend to have greater endurance mm -hmm. um, and lesser kind of manual facilities like dexterity and mm -hmm. agility. Um, so those are biological considerations of the elf and the dwarf. Um, there are other aspects that come along with this. Like traditionally, elves and dwarves both have the ability to see in darkness in some kind of way or another. We'll mm -hmm. talk through a couple of different versions of what that is. Um, but the idea is just that that's an ability of most elves in the way that sight is an ability of most humans, mm -hmm. right? Um, and maybe it's not an ability of um, an oak tree, right? Yeah. So, so, so there are different <laughs> types of things. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So far, so good? So far, so good. Okay. 
on the other hand, there's also a sociological piece um, of race. And, and sometimes, you know, you might think that race is a combination of these two, or maybe it's more a biological thing, or maybe it's a sociological thing. Um, if, so if the bio biological question uh, is kind of followed through for the elf and the dwarf, so in general then, dwarves are going to be smaller than elves, elves are going to be smaller than humans, dwarves are going to be stockier than uh, elves. And these, we're talking in generalities mm -hmm. here. Um, the elves are going to be the the most slender of those three. Humans are probably going to be um, somewhere in between, or maybe they'll even end up weighing about the same as dwarves, despite being a lot taller. Mm -hmm. um, humans, you know, maybe live 120 years if they're lucky, like incredibly lucky. Um, dwarves might live a, a couple hundred years, and elves might live several thousand years in some games. Or in some games, they're just immortal. Mm -hmm. um, not a lot of games make dwarves immortal, right? So the the idea is that elves are kind of descended from... Um, you know, fairies or divinities or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, nature spirits maybe even. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's that biological piece to it. But there's also a kind of sociological piece. So when we think of elves, we, I think we think of very um, magical, musical, um, having a good time. Um, they're interested in um, archery. They like hanging out in trees and forests. They're very proper, typically, mm -hmm. or some like some versions of elves might be very t uh, proper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then dwarves, on the other hand, are kind of on one hand they're very pious, but they're also very raucous, right? So they're very devoted toward um, their gods, mm -hmm. um, and they tend not to be especially comedic and hilarious. Um, so this is why, so um, in the Tolkien tradition, think about the way that Gimli, uh, he jokes a little bit with uh, Legolas. Like Legolas seems to be the more easygoing uh, of the two, I get you. Like it's right? so not so mischievous kind of mm -hmm. humor. Mm -hmm. You might laugh at them. Or, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, they, they tend to, el elves tend, in the way that elves tend to use bows and long swords, dwarves tend to use... Hammers. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say bows are, are so uncommon, partially because of their size. Uh -huh. um, yeah, hammers, um, axes, mm -hmm. those sorts of things. Um, elves, musical, as I said. It's not that dwarves aren't musical. It's just that they tend not to be associated with, like, stringed instruments and things like that. You, they, yeah. These just aren't things that you see them doing. Maybe we, drums? I was going to say, chanting. yeah, probably any sort of, like, like drinking music, mm -hmm. that sort of thing, the sort of drinking songs mm -hmm. or, um, like, the things you might see in a tavern is mm -hmm. I th what I think of, like, what I associate dwarves with is yeah. that sort of jovial atmosphere, less, um, you know, traditional classical music that, that mm -hmm. you might associate with an elf. Yeah, and so you should notice that in all these cases, we're talking about in general, mm -hmm. right? So um, elves don't have to be that way. Dwarves don't have to be that way. Elves don't have to be um, those heights. They could be shorter or taller. They don't have. You, there could be obese um, elves. There could be, you know, scrawny uh, dwarves. There could be dwarves who don't have beards. There could be elves that have beards. Although I'll be honest, we just don't see that very often <laughs> really in artwork. Don't, yeah. um, um, elves have pointy ears, but maybe not all of them, right? Mm -hmm. So, so in the same way that. Um, saying these are the characteristics that all human beings have. There just really aren't a lot of them, uh, even the, the, the genome, right? So mm -hmm. whatever. I'm not going to say more about that, right? So do some research <laughs> on uh, biology. Um, do some research on um, Homo sapiens sapiens, right? That's what human is. Where would elf be? Where would dwarf be on that classification? Sure. I don't know. All right. 
Um, maybe it's not a biological thing again, right? So maybe, you know, maybe so much of this is a sociological piece that yeah. ends up driving the, the population, the, the gene population. I'm going to say that, um, so a lot of those things we talked about were pretty clearly biological and some mm -hmm. of those things are pretty clearly sociological. So if you took a dwarf and put it with elves and mm -hmm. it was raised by elves, yeah. you might see like it having an interest in classical music, it mm -hmm. possibly not having... Of like drinking not being as big a part of its life, it might shave its beard, you know. So a lot of those things are clearly or um, could be sociological, uh, whereas like it being around or under five feet tall is a biological thing. Let me give you two more really quickly. So um, two more sets, in mm -hmm. fact. Let's talk through two different uh, sets of um, race. So on one hand, we could talk about um, the Vulcan versus the Klingon, right? Yeah. Um, so... I, I don't know enough about the lore here. So um, are Vulcans um, simply by their genetics um, intelligent um, and rational and unemotional um, is some of that upbringing, right? So when, mm -hmm. we, when we find examples of, you know, Vulcans who were raised among, I guess, Terrans um, or Terrans who were raised among Vulcans, it's hard mm -hmm. to do some of that because of the kind of closure um, of the Vulcan mm -hmm. race. Um, but then we get some um, half Vulcans, and they have interesting kind of mixes of the two characteristics. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to say which of those come from the biological side and which come from the sociological side. So, mm -hmm. so again, although we're saying race can be a biological thing or a sociological thing, probably in practice it ends up being a kind of combination of mm -hmm. these two factors. Yeah. Um, so what are Vulcans like? I guess they're pretty strong and pretty smart. Pretty strong, pretty smart, uh, pretty dry yes. might be a very uh, defining feature. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what are Klingons like? Really strong. I don't know that they're especially smart, but they are pretty crafty. They're very good at um, strategy because they devote yeah. so much of their time to um, warfare. Mm -hmm. um, but they also have a, a kind of developed uh, combat scheme that ends up being very kind of musical and dancey. Uh, so there's like a, you know, Worf does some batlift performance stuff, which looks very much like kata uh, like in martial arts, and it ends up being a kind of dancey type thing. Oh, yeah. An artist artistry at least yeah um yeah so again the vulcan versus the klingon if you're familiar with those then you're kind of seeing well there are some things that they seem to have biologically and there's definitely a culture mm -hmm. that goes along with it yeah and then i guess you could do one more contrast which would be um the wookie versus the um ewok the ewok yeah <laughs> <laughs> right and and so Look, I'm not saying that all Wookiee um, have to be stronger than all Ewoks, mm -hmm. but just look at the size of them in general. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you're seeing like seven feet tall, eight feet tall things that live an arboreal life, so they're swinging around in trees, um, they're almost certainly going to be really powerful, mm -hmm. physically powerful, in the way that gorillas, right, are, are kind of more powerful than human beings mm -hmm. in general. In general. Right? Um, and when I say in general, I mean kind of don't care how strong you are. Gorillas So something like that, right? So we, uh, and similarly, so it's not just height; they can also move faster because mm -hmm. of that. Um, they have certain biological uh, strengths and weaknesses, predispositions. How many Wookiee um, Force users are there? Mm -hmm. Not many, unless I'm making it because I like to <laughs> yeah, make uh, Wookiee. Yeah, force I was trying users. to think of an example. I can't think of any. I think there are some now um, that have come out, but yeah, there, there just uh, there was um, a, a Padawan in. Um, Clone, Clone Wars. Wars? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, one of the little ones. Okay. I can't remember his I name. I don't remember but, yeah. his name either. Um, so very few of them. Mm -hmm. And that might be because they're just, as a biological fact, 
Um, they're just not especially close to the force, or it could be a kind of sociological thing. They're very close to nature, but not to the force. So I, I don't know. It might know. also just be like they're close with their family, and their family is not going to give them to the Jedi. <laughs> that, that could absolutely be, right? Uh -huh. um, yeah, so that would be a kind of fact about their sociology. Um, okay, so we'll pause and we'll say, I hope now that we've given you enough examples that mm -hmm. uh, what the race is should now be pretty clear. Uh -huh. um, race in the fantasy setting is typically kind of human, elf, elf dwarf. dwarf. Hoblet, halfling sort of thing. Hoblet. Hoblet. <laughs> Hobbit, halfling, um, gnome. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. Half elves. Ha yeah, so half, half races. Whatevers. Yeah. Yeah. Some sort of orc, probably, mm -hmm. um, or half orc. Um, we get troll and half troll and high troll in Tolkien too. Oh yeah. So those kind of things, um, and then my goodness, um, like D and D now has and Pathfinder apparently yeah. has so many uh, races. It, it's kind Great. of absurd. I made a, a spreadsheet. Well, no, I found a spreadsheet and did some tweaking to it to try to like compare the races. There were so many. And even among those races, there are often what are called sub races. So the kind of elf that we've been talking about is probably what's called a, um, a sylvan elf, right? So one that hangs out in the woods. Uh, but there are typically others. Like, I, I think they used to call them, oh, wow, I can't even remember the names anymore. Um, high, uh, high elves. There are high elves, yeah. Uh, in um, Tolkien's world, there are Noldo, Cinda, and Silva, right? So I think it's like the high, the wild, and the whatever in the dark between. the drow or the normal not, not oh, okay. in nolda yeah no uh nolda are the, nolda are the high right so the dark elves are a thing that um i don't know that uh, tolkien especially did anything with that unless the um dark elves actually end up being the orcs and things like that which mm -hmm. they might have been uh yeah so um 86 races and sub races by the way in uh according to this online site that might be missing some or might be using some like skeptical sources yeah. in their list I wouldn't even be surprised if there are a lot more because oh, I, I remember, you know, when supplements would come out for second edition, they added this book called um, The Book of Humanoids. Mm -hmm. And so in addition to all those kind of more standard races, uh, yeah, Minotaur, right? Um, yeah. I don't know if Minotaur was in there. Right? Three sets of Minotaur, I think, oh, were in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, right. Yeah. So tons and tons of races. Uh -huh. um, and then depending on the kind of world you're playing race could even go beyond you know so maybe thinking about it as a biological thing might be a mistake um it's it's the general type of thing right because um r2d2 is a droid and i don't know that that, that it's quite biology mm -hmm. um it's it's the type now yeah. in in dune um there are some robots well non-humans i don't remember what they call them uh, but they have wet circuit brains, right? So wet brains. Oh, wet yeah. Wet circuit brains, whatever they call them. Uh, and so it's a, I think it's a non-carbon-based uh, life form. So they're still biological, despite mm -hmm. the fact that um, they uh, are robot-type things. Built, mm -hmm. Or built. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Possibly. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Doing that well. Okay. So what in general does a race do then? Uh, and so uh, maybe we can talk through... Um, just elf versus dwarf, thinking about the kind of typical thing. Um, well, actually, let's do a quick overview of how D&D &D tends to do it. Mm -hmm. um, I'll talk about how they used to do it. You can kind of fill in if they've changed things, because yeah. I, I just don't play um, anything after second edition that much. Mm -hmm. So in general, um, if you choose your uh, race, um, it, it affects some of your stats, or it can affect some of your stats. Um, so typically by 
back in the day, it would impose min minimums and maximums in some cases. So your stat couldn't be higher than this. So for instance, if you are a halfling, your strength couldn't be higher than a 16, I think. Wow. Um, and 18 is the kind of typical norm or mm -hmm. typical max. Um, and, uh, and in general, these min and maxes are enforced by pluses and minuses, and they tended not to uh, go beyond plus two or minus two. With these older systems, you would it would be really rare or you couldn't uh, upgrade your stats, right? It would be really rare to... It would be rare to, Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sometimes if you did some really awesome service for a god or goddess, you mm -hmm. might get a bonus of yeah. adding a point, right? So, and yeah, so that was a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, those initial ranges really yeah. kind of hemmed in your character or defined a lot about your character. Mm -hmm. um, and so Elf and Dwarf... Um, I, for what it's worth, I, I didn't, I played a, a wild elf, which is a, which is a kind of different, um, kind of elf. It's not exactly the same as a sylvan elf, but, um, the sylvan elf, I think would get plus one to dexterity and minus one constitution, which basically meant agile, more agile than humans, um, slightly less hardy toughness. Yeah. Hardiness, mm -hmm. um, uh, than humans. Mm -hmm. Um, dwarves on the other hand, just switch those modifiers, right? So, um, plus one to constitution, minus one to dexterity. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, stats, one of the major things that um, race does for you. Now notice, just because you get a plus one to dex doesn't mean that you have a better dexterity than humans. Yeah. Right? In fact, only the best humans versus the best elves would, does would that make sense? Would definitely yeah. be better, yeah. <clears throat> so if you took a general human and a general um, elf and put them next to each other, well, the elf would in general be slightly more dexterous, mm -hmm. right? But there would be lots of humans more dexterous than the average dexterity elf, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and the kind of opposite for um, dwarves. And then when we switch to constitution, we get that same kind of dwarves having the benefit versus uh, humans. Yeah. And so if you're ranking them, then we go uh, for dexterity, elf, human, dwarf in general. Mm -hmm. For constitution, dwarf, human, elf. Mm -hmm. So humans are kind of right in the middle, typically providing the kind of basis or the backbone of comparisons. That was D&D, &D, um, up, up through second edition, just on stats. Mm -hmm. Sound about right or have things changed? Uh, well, for one, uh, you can improve your stats. Uh, so... These starting stats, they still uh, do have like pluses and minuses to their stats. Um, so uh, a high elf will start with a plus two to dex and a plus one to intelligence. Whereas the player's handbooks, so like the original, will start with a hill dwarf and a mountain dwarf. Um, so the hill dwarf gets a plus two to constitution and a plus one to wisdom. Where the mountain dwarf gets a plus two to strength and a plus two to constitution. Uh, so the Mountain Dwarf can get four extra um, to a baseline character, which is pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing is that, like, I think every single level, or maybe it's every other level, you can add, like, a lot of points. Like, I think it's two to one or one to two. Uh, uh, so you add two points every time you level up with a cap of 20 across the board. Okay. Um, so it's possible for everyone to get to 20. I don't think that there is, like, I don't think that those modifiers, like, a dwarf could get to plus 22 mm. or can get to 22 uh, on their stats. Like, I don't think it affects them like that. Yeah. In fact, I'm pretty sure it doesn't. So if everyone gets to level 20 and they've all added their points together, I think it's possible for everyone to be equal. Like, okay. Yeah. That's beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. 
So I think that, like, so there's still all those pluses and minuses, but it's definitely not as big a deal as the starting bonuses um, as it was in, like, second edition. Yeah, so those um, those stat things, uh, let's see. So I, I said I was going to talk about just D&D, but maybe I'll, I'll just bring in Murph as a kind of comparison piece. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so some games, I think, try to balance races more or less, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that the Elf and the Dwarf, the Elf and the Dwarf are a good example of two pretty balanced races. And maybe not just, they're, they're balanced pretty well against one another, but they also seem to be pretty well balanced against humans. So maybe there are certain areas where humans do slightly better and certain areas where the Elf or the Dwarf does the best. Um, but in general, there aren't a lot of massive areas where one wins out rather than the other. But there are some games where um, that's not true. I think... Uh, Middle Earth role playing, um, the Noldo Elf, the um, the High Elf, and their stat bonuses are, I think, absolutely ridiculous, right? So, so mm-hmm. super, super high. Um, I think they're this. I haven't played it in a while, and the system's a little bit different, but I, I think they may even get a bonus to strength uh, compared to humans. Most humans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, intelligence for sure. I think um, they're the intuition stat, which is like the wisdom stat, right? So, and the charisma and the appearance, like they 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 have tons and tons of bonuses. But again, they're kind of divine characters, so it works in that narrative. Like, that's the justification. Mm-hmm. Um, I think dwarves get pretty decent bonuses, but I just, I don't think anyone, uh, any of the races uh, gets a bonus like the Noldo Elf. Um, <clears throat> okay, so a system where they're kind of balancing them, mm-hmm. and a system where that's, that's, and that's not authentic to the Tolkien story to balance everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so skills is the next area. So stats, those kind of basic attributes of your character, typically strength, intelligence, wisdom, dex, con, charisma, and if you like it, comeliness. Um, some games use, use more, some use fewer. Uh, skills, though, mm-hmm. the kind of, well, that reflect like your training and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so elves and dwarves, as I recall, didn't start with any special skill bonuses um, in D&D 1st and 2nd edition. Uh, race does impact um, your skills in Middle-earth role-playing. And so earlier I mentioned this, but I didn't say much about it. So um, I said that sometimes there's that kind of sub-race. And, and you mentioned it for elves and for dwarves now. So we've been yeah. talking about hill versus mountain. Yeah. Um, in Middle-earth role-playing, there are many different types of human. Um, and one of those human types is, so like the, the riders of Rohan, right? So if you're a Rohirrim, uh, you come from Rohan. Um, and if you choose that, well, you're a human in terms of your stats, and that doesn't give you very impressive stat bonuses. But as I recall, it gives you something like eight ranks at first level, eight skill ranks at first level in riding, mm-hmm. which means you have a, a, a base plus 40 to riding. Um, that's, so it's a huge benefit. Nobody else gets that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one other group of people who ride horses really well, but nobody as well as them. Yeah. Right? Plus 40 doesn't mean a whole lot to me, but I think that you mentioned that's crazy high. Yeah, so remember, if you need roughly like 100 to succeed at a standard moving maneuver, then oh. getting a plus 40, in addition to any stats or training or whatever, just based on your race. That's yeah, almost yeah, half. halfway yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that was, that was one way of thinking about it. Um, now, the, um, the characters uh, who were the, the Dunedin or Dunedin, they say these different ways, um, they actually start off with different stats because they're not common humans. They're called like high humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they start off with really good stat bonuses, much better than most humans. Yeah. But they don't get, uh, they don't get like a plus eight to ride or anything like that. They yeah. get decent skills, uh, skill modifiers, but not like that. 
And for what it's worth, I think the elves tend to get pretty garbage um, skill modifiers. Really? So they have high stats but low skills. The only area where the elves have really impressive stuff, I think, is in terms of, um, I think, perception and spell casting. So if you're a Noldo elf, uh, you, you're prob and you're a spellcaster, you'll start off with multiple spell lists because of how adept you are at spells. Most characters start off with zero or one mm -hmm. spell lists. Wow. So those are skills. Um, do we see anything like that in... Um, so I totally had to look this up because okay. I couldn't remember. Um, but, I mean, we get stuff like... Um, like dwarven resilience with dwarves. Uh, you have advantage on saving throws against poison. Okay. Which is sort of like a, a biological thing. Mm -hmm. um, and you have uh, proficiencies with certain weapons, uh, which I think just determines... No. In 5th edition, proficiency actually gives you a bonus. So mm. depending on your uh, class, you'll get a bonus to those weapons. Okay. Sorry, depending on your level, you'll get a bonus to those weapons. Okay. And I think with the elf, it's pretty similar. Like, so elves have uh, advantage against being charmed. Mm -hmm. And they might have something about sleep, but that might have been 3.5. Yeah, so in 2nd edition, um, I know elves better than dwarves. So mm -hmm. um, elves would get plus one to hit with the, I think, the longsword and the longbow. Mm -hmm. um, they would get a 90% resistance to sleep and charm, mm -hmm. and they would get a greater chance of detecting um, hidden doors and things like that. Yeah. yeah. So in 5th edition, they have uh, advantage on saving throws against being charmed, and they cannot be magically put to sleep. Like, it's impossible to do a sleep spell on them. Um, Pretty nice. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I would actually think of those as a kind of separate, those, those aren't exactly skills as opposed to something else, but it, it doesn't, right? So for taxonomy, it doesn't really matter, yeah. right? So this, um, I, other things that come into that area that I had in mind, um, some creatures have, I say some creatures, but some races have natural armor class. So mm -hmm. how, um, you know, resistant they are, how difficult it is to score a successful hit against them that does any kind of damage. Mm -hmm. some, some of them have uh, better armor classes than humans to start. Not typically elves and dwarves, um, but I'm trying to think of any offhand that I can remember. Um, a, a minotaur might. Um, there's some kind of serpenty people, like maybe the Thrycreen um, have... Uh, a special uh, modifier because they have like a chitinous uh, uh -huh. body, something yeah. like that. Um, hit points. Yeah. So, wow. Um, yeah. So, some races are just so powerful that they would start off with multiple hit dice, mm -hmm. right? So, as, and this just means this is like how many hit points you have, which we probably talked about in D for damage, and I don't know what H was. It was not hit points. Hit points. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. Okay, so we at least talked about it in D for damage. Mm -hmm. This idea that um, the hit points have to be depleted in order to knock you out, right? So if someone wants to drop you or kill you, they have to get rid of your hit points. Um, and so, you know, humans might start off with, like, one hit die. So that just means, like, one die that they roll to see how many hit points they have. But some races were so powerful that they would start off with multiple levels, and so multiple hit die. Wow. And then they wouldn't... They wouldn't be able to increase themselves until they gained enough experience to match where they really started. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, yeah. I think you mentioned this before. Yeah. It's like they have to get, like, if you need 5,000 as a human to get to level 5, mm -hmm. they would be level 1 until they reached 5,000 yes. uh, experience points. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, skills like infravision and flying, uh -huh. um, skills like you mentioned, they're probably, uh, I don't know if they're skills or they're whatever, they're special abilities. Who yeah, cares? ability, I don't, yeah. <clears throat> Doesn't really matter. 
those and those are, I guess, things that are kind of open uh, by their race and that affect the system pretty directly. Mm-hmm. But we also had this. Oh, actually, one more. Sorry. Um, first and second edition had level limits for characters, and so um, if you were humans had the greatest ability to kind of be what they wanted um, mm-hmm. and other races didn't quite have the same level of ability. Um, typically there were one or two classes. So we, we said that um, race is one of the two main classifications of a character um, and class is the other one. So dwarven, warrior, elven, rogue. Um, dwarven warrior might be able to max out their level, but I don't know, which just means there's no level limit. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Um, and they could probably get very high level as a cleric, a priest, uh, but they couldn't get especially high level as a um, a wizard. A wizard, if at all, um, they couldn't get especially high level as a uh, thief. And mm-hmm. kind of then the uh, the elf could get pretty high as a warrior, pretty high as a wizard, maybe less high as a priest, right? Mm-hmm. So it just there were level limitations imposed by your race, and humans had no level limitations. So that was one of the nice things about humans. Some DMs allowed you to go over your level limit by earning twice the experience necessary, mm-hmm. which just means now the humans in your party eventually become so much more powerful than the others. Okay. Now, those are all the system kind of specific things that we wanted to talk about, but we also want to talk about some flavor pieces, right? So choosing a certain race, what are some of the uh, flavor pieces um, that that might introduce? Um, so, I mean, a, a very obvious one might be, like, languages. Um, so, who can you interact with? Um, it also might affect, like, uh, other races that find you friendly, uh, just, like, stereotypically, possibly. They might, you know, make assumptions that you are friendly to them. They might make assumptions that you are unfriendly or an enemy. So, uh, quick, so, like, halflings and dwarves tend to get along. Uh-huh. Ha- um, orcs and dwarves tend not to get along. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say half works in 5th edition tend to have that sort of stigma against them mm-hmm. from their orc ancestry. In fact, I don't know that orcs are listed as a playable character in 5th uh, edition. Mm-hmm. I think it's only uh, half works. Interesting. Yeah. Um, also, stuff like alignment is one thing in 5th edition that might be a sort of flavor thing. Um, orcs, I think the reason that orcs aren't a playable character is that in the player's handbook, it says that all orcs are naturally evil. Um, okay. Whereas half-orcs have the ability to, like, push past it, but there's something about it that, like, you feel the drive to be evil, but you cannot, like, you can not be evil if you decide to be so. Um, um, habitat. Habitat. Uh, habitat and backstory. Yeah, like, those are good ones, for sure. Uh, so, like, where you're most comfortable and where you have, so, like, if you're a yeti. I don't know any, uh, like, classical games that have yeti, but you might be really especially... Uh, well suited for the tundra, but mm-hmm. if you go to the desert, you will be in rough, rough shape for sure. And and so those things can manifest in um, in-game modifiers, right? So yeah. kind of if you have massive shaggy clothing, like that might um, clothing, <laughs> body, <laughs> body hair, body hair, fur. Um, <laughs> then it probably does help you in a cold setting, but it could lead to uh, exhaustion or something like that in a hotter setting. So some yeah. of these will have game impact, but they but they're largely on the the, floor, the flavor side. So yeah. um, your your character's familiarity with um, this habitat or that, or where they've likely been in their adventuring career or prior to their adventuring career, mm-hmm. that would be influenced heavily influenced, if not determined, but heavily influenced uh, by those kind of considerations. For sure. And then appearance. 
the appearance piece matters um, just in terms of what your character is going to look like. It might have no further impact on the game, but... Unless it, you have comeliness. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. uh, or, or appearance, right? So some games use this. And oh, I know, yeah. Right? So it's not, it's not just like one game that idiosyncratically used it. It was a kind of general idea that your, your attractiveness matters for whatever reason. Um, typically for seduction. I mm -hmm. think some games just kind of say it's not your attractiveness as, as much as your persuasiveness. Yeah, right? yeah. Charisma versus comeliness kind of argument. Yeah, um, and so um, you have a Wookiee approach you, and you, you almost always be able to identify Wookiees by the way they look. Yeah. Right? Um, it doesn't have to give any kind of other modifiers. It's just you look like a Wookiee. There are not a lot of humans who look like a Wookiee, right? And there aren't a lot of Wookiees that look like a human as far as we know. I don't know what a shaved... I don't know uh, what it, they look like when they're shaved. Yeah. <laughs> They've got the sort of like the dogish nose for uh -huh. sure. So, um, And the ears, I think, are floppy and... Yeah. So... So, interesting. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Let's write to uh, Lucas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to oh, know. Oh, I'm sure someone knows. Oh God. So uh, you wanted to talk about some some of these distinctions. Yes, I mean the reason why we're making this distinction is because so stats will have some sort of effect on the mechanics of the game, whereas flavor might only come up in roleplay or it might have some sort of influence over stats, um, but it might be something that like the DM. So if there isn't some sort of uh, specific uh, rule for a Yeti to roll for exhaustion in a hot setting, uh, that might be something that the DM could reasonably make a call for uh, mm -hmm. on their own, or even the player to be like, I bet I'm not loving this. Let me roll to see if I'm exhausted in this, um, which might have like a, an applicable stat result, but it's something that might only come into effect when you role play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that's well said, right? So mm -hmm. the, oh, I've got to be in, my dwarf has to be in a group with this elf or this orc or this whatever. Yeah. I'm going to be nasty to them a little bit or at least resentful or suspicious of them, at least something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, uh, so if you think about height, there's definitely a stat aspect to it, but it's also something that could be flavor um, mm -hmm. just in that. Like if you're a, a four foot tall dwarf uh, and you're hanging around with a bunch of like, six foot seven uh, half works like that has a lot of opportunity for different role play as well as like y you might be able to fit places that the half works can't go or vice versa so yeah good mm -hmm. um all right so those uh, kind of system things versus flavor things mm -hmm. now we arrive at the pitch mm -hmm. um and in order to make the pitch um, I, I want to remind, so just remind you that this is a kind of universal system. Mm -hmm. It's also a kind of point-based system. So in making a universal point-based system, there are certain things that we've given up that some games have as resources. So what have we given up? Levels? Yep. Um, okay, levels. No. Uh, <laughs> That's all. We've got everything uh, else. <laughs> um, uh, but also, uh, there, there's not like, I, I can't give you a list of the races. And, and kind of in the... but. You know, you might think, well, neither can D&D. True, right? So there are just too many, <laughs> just too many damn races in a bunch of games. Um, that's right. Uh, so because of that, things become a little bit more freeform. Mm -hmm. But what a game needs is some kind of like criterion or measure, some way of a, a metric, right? So some way of making everything commensurable. We have to have some way of being able to compare characters. Yeah. Um, and from the DM side or the GM side, coming up with um, 
encounters that will try that group, that will tax that group without overtaxing that group. Mm -hmm. uh, and so a lot of games will just use um, level yeah. as the proxy um, or hit points as the proxy. Or, you know, they'll come up with something else, challenge rating, which is kind of derived from class and other things yeah. or, or level and other things, right? So and this system uses points and it uses points kind of in the beginning to create your character and then your character receives experience in the form of more points and then you spend those points as a player and make your character better. Um, this is that idea that we talked about maybe in hit points, uh, what maybe, in, I don't remember, level? L for level? Was that level? Experience. E for experience. E for experience. So this idea of um, experience is about making your character kind of more difficult to overcome. Uh, and so when I'm when I, when we talk about points here, we're talking about these kind of gen this general currency for fleshing out your character's skills, abilities, especially the ability to not uh, the ability to resist being overcome. Mm -hmm. How's that? So um, there was a game, and I think it still exists. I just don't hear very much about it anymore. It's GURPS. It's generic universal role playing system. Um, so it was made by Stephen Jackson Games. And um, in GURPS, there's this kind of universal measure, and it's points. Mm -hmm. uh, and so something like incredibly like feeble, pathetic beginning characters might have something like 15 points in their pool to choose from. And maybe decent adventurers might have like 50 or 100, and mm -hmm. uh, really powerful characters might have 200, and uh, superheroes might have like 500. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's the way that that system gauges things relative to each other. If you're familiar with Dragon Ball Z, when they talk about power level, right? <laughs> so a character who hits 9,000 power level, uh -huh. what does a typical human have? Like a one? Do they I, tell? I, yeah. Like, I don't need, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just so, the, the difference can be so massive. There is a way of measuring these things, but mm -hmm. it's just a, a Saiyan can just blast a human and destroy them easily. <laughs> and it happens so many times. Yeah. And in fact, it, at some point, it's so ridiculous that they're not just destroying humans, they're destroying planets. Yeah. Right? So, um, so we have, yeah, we use points. Yeah. That kind of point. Um, and something similar, I think, happened in that Marvel game from the 90s. Uh, so that Marvel superhero game. Um, but I don't remember that one nearly as well. Yes. So uh, I'll just We've say. We've definitely talked about it on the show. I don't remember where, but yes. Probably really early on. Yeah, uh, I think so. But I don't remember where. It might have been when we were talking about like Blood of Heroes and the setting. We might have been comparing settings. I think that's pretty plausible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what we wanted to say is um, a, a kind of one more general overview piece about balance. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so um, some of these races we've said, some, games try to, or they strive to balance races. Mm -hmm. So if someone chooses the elf, it doesn't make them so much more powerful than a human or so much more powerful than a dwarf that it becomes a kind of strain on playing in the group. Mm -hmm. So let me say what I mean a bit. So in the game uh, where someone chooses a Saiyan and you're thinking about making a human, mm -hmm. you might think, uh, that this is now a lot less appealing to me just because in Dragon Ball and DBZ, um, Saiyans are so much more powerful at the beginning and have so much higher ability to get better than humans that those humans um, are almost certainly destined to a kind of peripheral role. Yeah. They'll never be the forefront kind of combatter peoples. Yeah. <laughs> Building off of that, that's also, um, you might be worried about the, the GM's ability to 
give both of you a challenge mm -hmm. uh, when you're playing together. Like, what would be challenging for a human would be way too easy for uh, a Saiyan, and what would be challenging for a Saiyan would probably just kill your human really quickly. Yes. I think this is a good point. So, uh, and all the, yeah, the, all the insecurities it might introduce into the party itself, um, every GM, every adventure that the GM works on has to work on these two levels. Mm -hmm. Like, I have to yeah, give the super powerful character something, and I have to, at the same time, make it meaningful for these other kind of spear carriers. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so on one hand, because it's a universal system, um, some races will not be balanced. Like, yeah. You can play unbalanced races in this game. You might not want to, but you can. Yes. So uh, with that in mind, um, the, you know, um, there are certain kind of races that in certain worlds you might want to be reasonably well balanced. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is, again, building off that, this tradition of the, the kind of stereotypical fantasy races of the elf, the dwarf, the human, and a couple others. Um, and so our idea is that uh, we've assembled kind of like an elf package um, and a dwarf package. Yeah. Uh, and so if you want to play uh, the elf, uh, you can just be an elf. Yeah. Um, and not have any of the cool elf abilities, right? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you yeah. would get the, the appearances that yep. you want, um, the pointy ears if you want them, slender build. You could be taller or shorter depending on which kind of elf you like, uh, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. Uh, but no system impact. Yes. It doesn't do anything for you. So your elfiness is just not something you get to take advantage of, really. Uh, maybe in role-playing you can, uh, yeah. but not in terms of um, system advantage. Yeah. How Do, do we have a, languages or a, like a... A skill you have to earn kind of in our system, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's totally fine if an elf doesn't speak. Elven, elf. yeah. yeah. Now, um, if you want to get the kind of standard package um, that elves have, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, then you have to buy it, right? So the, the, the pitch is you, you buy your race's modifiers. Why? The, the system justification is these points are this kind of universal currency that tells us how powerful your character is. Um, and if you want modifiers based on being an elf, what kind of modifiers? Like being more dexterous, longer life, Seeing ability in to the see dark. in the dark. Yeah. yeah. Um, being the coolest fantasy race that there's ever been. If you want those things, um, then you have to spend them. <laughs> yeah. How many points is that one, Daya? That one's free. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the idea here then is, yeah, you're going to buy your race. Um, and so uh, we figured we would talk through what this might mean. Now, we've already given that kind of um, preface that is just, we're, we're not especially worried about whether all races are balanced. That, that's not our concern. Uh, but we do think that um, a, a race like an elf and a dwarf should uh, have a standard package that could reasonably per be purchased by kind of starting characters and not unbalance the game. Mm -hmm. Okay. Unbalancing yeah. the game, if you want to do it, do it. But we're just saying that's, that's not exactly our concern. Yeah. All right. So I think our biggest concern is the GMs having some metric of your character. So, yeah. Two. Well, the, the concern is always is the party going to work? So, is the uh, group of people going to work? Mm -hmm. um, and if the GM doesn't have a metric uh, for making these comparisons, like how many uh, brigands should I throw at them? If there's no kind of reasonable um, shortcut for figuring that out, which could be level or whatever, um, that job becomes much more difficult. And if one character looks at the other person and says, uh, uh, like, uh, why are you so much more powerful than I am? Uh, mm -hmm. if, if that's a problem, right? So we, we just need a kind of method uh, and a metric for figuring out those things. So um, 
the threat is, is the GM's job going to be too hard or are the players just not going to enjoy it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, what do elves get? Well, at the very least, it seems like they get um, some kind of dexterity type bonus, possibly a constitution drawback. Dwarves, on the other hand, a constitution bonus, a dexterity drawback. Those yeah. are kind of stereotypical races. Um, they also get this um, infravision and possibly long life. So um, with just those ideas in mind, uh, let's talk through a kind of way of making sense of this. If you want to buy the elf package, it seems it's got to give you, it's got to include some kind of dexterity bonus. Now, our system is not just levelless, it's statless, right? So there are no stats. Yeah. Uh, so what does that mean? Well, you just have to choose a kind of skill or hobby or training that's kind of dexterity-like, like, like um, dodging or throwing or shooting or acrobatics. Mm-hmm. So uh, we could give you some kind of stereotypical skills, and you get one of those. So a plus one, probably a plus one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk a little bit about the range there, plus one, plus one. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Um, uh, the dwarf would get some kind of bonus for constitution, which could be like hit points um, uh, or an endurance type thing or stamina uh, or resist poison, right? Um so let's pause on that and talk about the, these minor positive bonuses, these minor bonuses that they're getting. Uh, so a plus one in this system, uh, remember that this system ranges from essentially uh, the typical roll is a d20, mm-hmm. and you need to roll a 10 in order to succeed. Yeah. And then um, difficulties or easiness or skill or inexperience is going to contribute in the form of uh, die sixes mm-hmm. that will either be subtracted from your roll um, or added to your roll. It doesn't change the target. It's always a 10. You just have to need to roll a 10 to succeed. But if you're doing something very difficult and you have uh, minus 3 as a modifier, you're rolling a d20, and then you're rolling three six-siders, and you're subtracting the six-sided roll from your d20. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if you know much about math, the average roll uh, from a d20 is going to be between a 10 and 11 on average, right? Mm-hmm. And the average roll from uh, three dice six is going to be a ten and a half, which means your average roll is going to be pretty darn close to zero, mm-hmm. uh, which means at a minus three, your odds of success are pretty bad. Yeah. On the other hand, you, you bump it up to plus three, you're rolling your d20 and you're adding three dice six, your odds of success are something like 97%, right? So um, what do these things do? <clears throat> I mean, on one hand, if you choose a, a skill uh, like uh, throwing or shooting or acrobatics, then you just get a plus one to start. And then you spend your uh, points in the beginning normally after that, right? So you buy the you buy the it's a one point skill to buy this um, throwing or shooting or acrobatics, and then um, and that's one point gone from your pool to buy abilities. Sounds good. Okay. Um, you know, dodging and hit points are interesting, and I don't want to commit to that now. But I mean, we've already said interesting stuff about both dodging and hit points in um, a couple different episodes. So very quickly, remember when we talked about body development in Middle Earth role playing? Yeah, yeah and so perception. in perception it came up. We also talked about this in D for damage. If you want to revisit our damage system, it's really a wounds type of system based off hit points. Um, go and revisit that. Um, so hit points and dodge are not, they're both kind of ideas that are pulled out from the skills. So they're not exactly skills. Does that make sense? Yes. Like yeah. uh, adding a hit point would be like the skill of body development. Yes. Right? And um, dodge would be like the skill of dodge, which just is its own thing that allows you this kind of cool ability. We, yeah. we need to talk more about how dodge works in our yes. system, but we won't do it today. Not today. But yes. you, you're talking, so some people might know what you're referring to as dodge as yes. defense, as your armor class, as like the, the general sort of 
an ability to be hit or ability to avoid getting hit. Is that what you're talking about? Pretty close to that, yeah. Okay. So like we called it a defensive modifier previously. Mm-hmm. So um, our um, damage, our, our kind of defense system has these two characteristics. Yeah, three. Um, so defensive modifier, mm-hmm. armor class, hit points. You defeat someone by depleting their hit points. Um, you hit them by uh, scoring an attack uh, that isn't defended. Yes. Um, so and you just have to overcome their armor class. Yeah. yeah. So that's the idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Cool. All right. Okay. So what about? Um, I, I mean, so elves and dwarves can probably be handled by plus ones because they don't they don't um, you know vary greatly from humans in those kind of areas. Now the question becomes: um, Should you impose a negative? I mean, on one hand, um, you know, I guess it depends what kind of race you want to play. Yeah. Um, in general, I don't recommend it, but there's a very easy way to do it if you want, and it's just to uh, demand that um, for the elf or the dwarf, the very first skill that they choose that is of their weakness area, they just have to spend an extra point to get it. That is of their weakness area. Yeah, so um, for the elf, their weakness area is minus one con, right? So um, if they want to add a hit point, you say, uh, you can buy a hit point, but you have to spend an extra point for the first one you buy. For just the first one? Just the first one. Okay. Yeah. This is a, you know... Your minus one con in D&D isn't a huge deal. Your minus one dex in D&D isn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's just the con, the dex is you're going to have a 5% greater chance of being hit <laughs> wearing that armor, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the minus one con is you're going to have one fewer hit point per hit die up to like level nine. And then after that, you don't roll dice anymore, at least in second edition. In fifth edition, you totally do. Right, right, right. Yeah. So. So it's going to be, you're going to slightly lag behind by this. This person's going to be slightly easier to hit. This person's going to slightly lag behind. Um, if you don't think that's a big enough penalty. You can do it differently. You could make them spend two points, right? Or you could make... Or all sort of constitutionally yeah. have some sort of negative penalty. Yeah. Okay, good? Good. <clears throat> and so the most difficult piece of this, I think, is, you know, the figuring out, well, what about these non-stat non-skill. I think we can handle stats and skills just fine. Skills go to skills. Like skills just go to the corresponding skills. Um, stats, you just get a kind of, you have to use your brain and figure out what kind of skills would be built off that or what yeah. kind of hobbies or trainings or whatever. It's probably also something that like players and GMs will have to one-on-one talk out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then um, now um, AC and hit points. So we have ways of making sense of that in the system. Yeah. Um, you know, you just have to spend the, the kind of normal points to increase your hit points or your armor class. Mm-hmm. Um, now, abilities like infravision and flying and all these others, these are actually really cool, right? Yes. And so, um, and I say cool, but I mean really difficult. So this is a, ch- a challenge for a universal system, right? Yeah. The benefit of a system that is not open-ended um, is that they simply can stipulate things, right? Even if it doesn't make sense. And a lot of kind of rules don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, our problem is that we want them to make sense and we don't want to just stipulate it. So we have to come up with a kind of way of making sense of how powerful certain abilities are. And um, so I'm going to start with this. This rule of thumb is going to be, um, in general, if your ability would allow you to overcome one die of difficulty, then it's a level one skill. Mm-hmm. If it would allow you to overcome two dice of difficulty, it's a two die skill, a two point skill, right? A level two skill and a level three skill if it's three dice. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk about infravision. Yes. Uh, this is a kind of good example. So in different versions of RPGs, um, elves and dwarves, their ability to see in the dark is, it, it's very different, right? So in some games, it's you have 
uh, infrared vision. So you're seeing heat sources up to 60 feet, right? Mm -hmm. Something like that. Maybe 90, maybe even 120 feet. Um, in other games, there's like low light vision, which allows you to see in less light as if there's more light. Um, and then I think there is just night vision. Is that the one? Dark vision in 5th edition. Is that, and you can see perfectly? Perfectly in, the, okay. in any light source, up to 60 feet. Okay. Um, so just think about how different those might be, right? So um, seeing heat sources is different from seeing as if mm -hmm. it's light. Yeah. Um, and so um, I think that in D&D, &D, if you didn't have uh, this skill called blind fighting. Blind sight? It used to be called blind fighting, okay. but blind sight makes a lot more sense because it's not just about fighting, yeah. right? Um, but blind fighting is the one like in all the movies where people put on uh, oh, blindfolds the, the and blind then they just <laughs> listen yeah. to uh, it's a Daredevil. It's yeah. Daredevil. Yes, but blind sight makes a lot more sense. Um, and so the you know the idea here is that uh, some of these impose certain penalties. So if you didn't have blind fighting, I think you were like minus three to hit. If you had blind fighting, it would go to minus two or minus one, something like that. Mm -hmm. So what blind fighting allowed you to do is to overcome some of that. But that that's exactly how we're thinking about figuring out the the power of these skills. Yeah. So if um, blind fighting would allow you to overcome uh, two levels of difficulty, which just means rolling two six-siders and subtracting them from your roll. Mm -hmm. If it allows you to overcome one of them, then it's a level one ability, right? If it allows you to overcome two, then it's a level two ability. Um, and so those costs, like, in our system, I'm just going to throw out some numbers here. So one of them costs, say, two points to buy. The other one costs four points because the, the cost always doubles. And if it's a level three, then it would be eight points to buy. So um, that's how I'm proposing to handle it. Okay? Yep. All right. Obviously, we got some issues. Obviously. So let's turn over to um, Hack and Slash. All right. Hack so I'm noticing on your, your notes there, you've got flying. Flying. Yes. <laughs> flying seems like especially tough mm -hmm. um, because it's either you can do it or you can't. Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't know how you would measure out penalties uh for flying, yeah. especially since, like, we are people. Like, what is the, the penalty for not being able to fight someone who is flying? Yeah. I guess is <clears throat> a way to think about it. Mm -hmm. Like, you can either hit them with a melee weapon or you're using a ranged weapon anyway. Right, I'm trying to think. Um, so what next episode is S... Uh, so Spells. next time, well, yeah, but next time we go through the alphabet, when we get to um, F, we'll have uh, F is for Falcon, and we'll interview a Falcon, and we'll <laughs> we'll interview a Falcon. Yeah, and we'll see um, what humans miss out on by not. <laughs> to, uh, no, look, this this is the, the fair point, right? So, yeah. Um, the idea uh, again of the the non universal system, like the one that just stipulates, is the power of stipulation. Mm -hmm. um, like sometimes you just say, "Hey, that's the rule," and whatever you know, yeah. deal with it. Um, so maybe what we could do is uh, come up with a list uh, of values that we think some of these attributes have. Is that going to be satisfying? Mm -hmm. No, probably not. But we, we can do our best. So yeah. Um, how? So I actually think that for flying, I think it's a question of your kind of speed and maneuverability, right? So I could imagine um, flying as a, a level one ability being, I mean, pretty garbage, right? So maybe you can fly like. 
You can do what, like, vultures do. You can only, like, catch air streams and uh, hover. Or not hover. What are they? Glide? I don't know anything about how uh, vultures fly, but yes. Something like that. Maybe it's I'm, not. I'm thinking, yeah, slow and awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a two. Oh, that's better, right? <laughs> and then, you know, maybe a, a falcon, a three. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, if you can fly 100 miles an hour, that's a really powerful ability. Maybe more, even. I, I don't know. Um, it's a good question. Mm-hmm. Something to think about for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are probably even more preposterous um, abilities than flying. Flying is, is actually a natural ability, and it's it's a bit of a challenge. Uh, so it's something for us to think about. Yeah. Um, yeah, fair enough. How, how much do you think it should cost? Ooh, one way to do this. There's a kind of, um, there's like a, what we would call like a, Ex ante or an ex post way of doing it. The ex ante, the ex ante way of doing it is we would just sit here and be like, oh, it's like a level three ability and just mm-hmm. make stuff up. Um, the ex post way would be is ask characters how, uh, ask players how many points they would spend to get the ability to fly. Yeah. And then that would give us. Now um, people might say that's super arbitrary. Uh, sure. Yeah. Except that that's what people are willing to spend. Yeah. yeah. Maybe ask them what they would spend for a bunch of different things yeah. and throw flying in there I like and it. see where it, it ranks amongst the others. Because, yeah. yeah. You know, um, in the way that flying might seem a, an ability that, um, man, if, if a character can fly like an eagle and another character can't, like that's a huge benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also a character who has a plus three with a weapon has a tremendous ability that yeah. a character who doesn't have a plus three with a weapon has a tremendous ability. Um, yeah, and so that's one of the really cool things about the, the systems. Just the negative three to the plus three gives you this like massive, massive range of abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might sound crazy to say that uh, flying is just as valuable as plus three with a bow, but <clears throat> plus three shots from bows are going to hit almost every time, and they're going to do serious damage. Um, so someone who can fly 100 miles an hour is a really cool ability, but I don't know if it makes them more difficult to overcome than having a plus three. So so that's sort of my uh, hand-wavy answer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the, the people listening are just, yeah, they totally yeah. agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Good question. Thanks. Yeah. I'm trying to think of... So we sort of talked about this beforehand, which is why I'm having a hard time coming up with uh, hack and slash now, because we already went through a bunch of this. Uh, so we've already sort of refined this version uh, really well before we came and talked to you. So... Victoria. So, Travis. Might I recap a bit? Nay. <laughs> so we began the show by talking about race, um, and it, it's this kind of crucial piece to a lot of RPGs. It's one of the two main classification types for what your character is, so we typically get, like, race and class. Um, and so we talked through uh, this idea of race as delivering a type, uh, and this could be a, a biological or a sociological type. And I don't know that we have to be exclusive here, right? It's not just one or the other. It might be a kind of combination of these things, right? Mm-hmm. So um, your biology, uh, the fact that you're an, uh, a Wookiee probably tells us certain facts about your biology, like what's maybe what's poisonous to you, what you're resistant to, but maybe some, other, um, some sociological considerations as well, like what languages you probably speak, where you probably grew up, um, what kind of weapons you like to use, maybe even the kind of general skills that you, your people tend to train in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so biological or sociological, and, and we speak of generalities, right? So just because someone is uh, of race X, it doesn't tell us exactly what kind of thing they are. 
uh, because in the way that lots of humans are not sighted, um, you know, just because you're an elf doesn't mean that you can see in the dark. Yeah. Um, then we started talking through some of the system impacts. So the way that games tend to handle these things, um, we talked about um, elves versus dwarves, um, Vulcans and Klingons, um, and then uh, Wookiees and Ewoks. Ewoks. I keep forgetting Ewoks. And so we talked through stat impact, so uh-huh. uh, the attributes, your general attributes. We talked through skills. We talked through some other things like armor class, hit points, infravision, skipped flying. And then uh, we talked about some flavor considerations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember those? Yeah, your languages, um, your uh, habitat, your appearance, how uh, flavors can be both kind of a stat thing and also just a thing that comes into accounts whenever you're role-playing. And then as we talked through how some of those games handled that, we came up, you know, we moved into our pitch um, and the major pitch here is this idea, uh, a kind of two-tiered way of thinking about race. Uh, so it's, on one hand, we're not especially concerned about whether races are balanced against one another. Mm-hmm. But in specific games and with specific parties, there's good reason to balance. Mm-hmm. The other piece is this idea of having this kind of universal metric for figuring out how difficult characters are to defeat. Yeah. Um, and so that leads us to um, adopt the approach not... We're not the first ones to come up with this. So I don't know if GURPS is the first system to do this, but it's a well-known system that does it. It's this idea of buying your race. Um, And so you can choose to be an elf, and that's fine. But if you want the abilities that come with being an elf, which might be like the increased um, agility, the um, increased ability with certain weapons, uh, the resistance to sleep and charm, if you want those, if you want the, um, what's the other one, the uh, infravision, you have to buy those using points that you would otherwise use to create your character. I do just want to point out that I think this is a really cool way to do it because uh, with D&D, you get everything, um, even parts that you, you don't plan on using. So this is a yeah. cool way to add to that sort of min-maxing, building a character idea. Yeah, so that right, that's the idea. It was always strange you know, to play an elf who would get plus one to hit with the long bow and the short bow if you were a cleric. Yeah. <laughs> Those abilities are useless, and you might think, can I? There's li- literally nothing else that I can do, um, mm-hmm. I, and I can't translate those abilities elsewhere, whatever. Um, okay, um, and so that's the the pitch, and the uh, hack and slash was a it's a it's the the clear problem here or the clear challenge facing yeah. us. Yeah, one a example of the clear challenge that we could think of was the thought of flying being a really hard thing to uh, sort of convert into a, a metric for how difficult your character is, like most of the other skills we've been able to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that we're just going to have to, to think about more uh, before we can give like a definite answer. It, it might be something that we might have to kind of hand wave away a little, at least. It might be something that will come up with something super cool. Don't know. Yeah, I'll give you kind of two ideas. So in general, I mean, I gave the idea that already the system ranges from negative three to plus three in general um, as the difficulty. And that plus three... Um, is already a pretty powerful ability. So it's not clear to me that flying is more powerful than a plus three ability to hit with a weapon or dodge or whatever. Um, So that's one piece of it. But I also kind of like this idea of seeing what characters are willing to uh, buy Mm -hmm. for, right? So how many points would characters be, or players, I guess, be willing to spend on something like that? I think think it's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and so it's definitely worth revisiting. Yeah. And we'll uh, report back when we have something in line. So. Sounds good. Sounds very good. Yeah. Victoria. Travis.
seems like it's about time to say, I've been Travis. This has been Victoria. And you've been listening to Dungeon Shadow. Thanks for listening to episode 18. If you want more Dungeon Chatter, please check us out at DungeonChatter.com or follow us on Twitter at at DungeonChatter. And if you liked our show, it'd be super cool if you left a review on iTunes, told your friends who are also into RPG stuff, or maybe curious about RPG stuff, or maybe completely indifferent to RPGs entirely that you think might still enjoy this. We definitely appreciate it. Our next episode, S for Spells, will be out in two weeks on Monday, July 15th. So we hope to see you then. Thanks again for listening.